You are listening to Ember Weekend. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And this week we're going to talk about some more Ember news and some kind of cool add-ons and stuff that have been developed in the last, I don't know, just a few weeks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be really exciting. Actually, we're also going to talk about RFC. There's a bunch of cool stuff that's happening. We'll see how far we get in. Yeah, definitely. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hello, I'm Corey. And I'm Matt. Matt and I started our consulting company, 201 Created, five years ago. We've been passionate about Ember and its community since we started and are proud to be able to sponsor Ember Weekend. Our clients have included Fortune 50 companies and Y Combinator startups. If your team needs Ember training or advice or wants to learn how to make open source work for you, visit us at www.201-created.com or follow us on Twitter at 201-TWO underscore OH underscore ONE. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. All right, so the first thing we're going to talk about is actually an RFC by Melanie Sumner. We met Melanie Sumner a few times now at, at, at a few different conferences, EmberConf and Wikipedia, maybe? The San Diego one, the so good. The San Diego one, that's right. San, yeah, so so Ember. Oh my gosh, that was a really, really good conference. <laughs> Called it So Good. So Good Ember. So that been, good. That would have been good too. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, so the proposal was ostensibly to support three new ARIA roles, like hooks, attribute bindings for Ember components. And the RFC has this like really cool conversation associated with it. And it culminated in a really cool add-on by Martin Munez that basically lets you do it in kind of a more general purpose way with, oh, geez, I have to be really specific here. It's not a Babel plugin. It's an AST transform, right? Right, definitely. There's some limitations to it. Like he was saying, you can't use things like if, you know, like it's not, um because it's not really baked into the language. It's, it looks like, as far as I understand it, it's just kind of doing some substitution under the hood at kind of template compile time, but it looks cool. It looks basically, the gist of it is that it lets you bind any attribute you want. So, you know, before, like with ARIA roles, you would have to go into each of your components or maybe reopen like the base component and then always, you know, and then add some functionality into there to say like, anytime I give you like ARIA role, I want you to bind it in a specific way. And this lets you do it just generically. You can do it with anything, even ID, class, any of the, the, the normal things. And it will always override the things that are under the hood. So even if somebody like in this component defines that thing, this will override it. Right. And I think the, uh, so the, the detailed design of how, how this RFC was like the, the original proposal was to basically treat the ARIA label, ARIA labeled by, and the ARIA described by attributes in the exact same way that ARIA role is defined. And it sparked a, a pretty cool conversation because like the ARIA role thing could be handled with this plugin as well. So it's interesting to see like maybe there's like a, a pattern here that's emerging for us to do to, to better do these like accessibility attributes without having to like monkey around too much. Maybe make it easier or maybe even create some sort of like general purpose solution where you can, you know, throw these things in like more easily. So it's pretty cool. I definitely recommend checking it out. The discussion was really good. And I think feedback on use of the component would be really good to check out and see if it works for your accessibility needs. It's pretty cool. So definitely check it out. All right. The next thing we're going to talk about is another add-on, but this one's by Kelly Selden. It looks like it's like 20 days old and it's a Ember CLI update. And the, the way I understand it, you install this as a as a global, and you use it like a, you know like a tool. It doesn't go into your actual like package JSON, and you run the command to update your app to the latest version of Ember. So then it does like a comparison, and, it, and it, I guess it just modifies the files in place, and then you get like a diff. You use your normal Git tools to do like your standard workflow for you know committing those. 
Uh, it also apparently does some things to like keep old copies so it doesn't like clobber things. I haven't read too much into it, but what do you think about it, John? Yeah, I think so. It's basically like a supercharged Ember init where uh, not only will it work for your Ember app to bring it up to a more recent version, it will also work with add-ons and you can specify arbitrary versions so you can go in steps, for instance. That would be really valuable. So say you're four versions behind, you can go one step at a time to have like smaller chunks of individual code that you'd have to go through, which would be really neat. So like I can imagine that being very helpful to make sure that, you know, like say it's even longer than four versions, say it's a really old app and you're trying to go like eight versions or something. Well, taking it incrementally will likely be easier to like, you know, make the individual changes and adjustments that you need to. So it lets you do things like that. It integrates with whatever your merge tool is. I think it uses your Git merge tool. And there's some there's some information on that in the readme. So yeah, I think it's super neat. I'm always looking for better and more clever ways to make that upgrade process easier, especially because you know I've been doing a lot of performance work the past few months. And honestly, the best way to get better performance out of Ember apps is to upgrade. <laughs> I, I know that's not always true. Like, I know that's not 100% accurate. There was like some regressions with Glimmer 1, I want to say, in certain cases. But generally speaking, especially lately, getting better performance is an upgrade away. So tools that make that easier and more approachable for smaller teams specifically, I think that that's where the struggle comes in with like smaller, more resource-constrained teams, this, you know, this kind of tool will make it a lot easier. So I'm, I think it's awesome. And Kelly Selden's writing like a ton of other add-ons. Like as we were looking through this, we saw like other add-ons that he made in the past like week or two, like Ember each of, and yeah, it's cool stuff. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, probably along with the, along the lines of what, with Martin Muniz is saying, the, the changes to, to Glimmer and the ability to like mess with the AST have made like a lot of add-ons, you know, possible. This one doesn't specifically use, you know, like Glimmer, but you know, the it, Ember itself has become very customizable, like in the sense that you have like a, like a lot of power. Like with it, I've made some add-ons recently for for my work that are not open source yet, but we're ho- hoping to open source them. But you have so much power now, like under the hood. There's so many hooks that are exposed publicly, or you know, kind of the intimate APIs where you know you're, they're pretty stable. I mean, Ember seems very stable and like easily modified for like your specific use case. So like I, I can easily see like when you look at the uh, what, what Martin Muniz did, there's no reason why like a, a developer in a, in a company that specifically has this problem couldn't just develop something like this and use it internally for a while. It's not something that's it's not it doesn't feel hacky. It looks like it'd be pretty stable. And then when you're ready, you know you open source it and get some feedback. This is just like kind of seems like this is how how Ember's like meant to be developed now. Ember's for these larger companies that have these you know very specific problems, and it and it like lends itself to being modified, which is nice. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So check out Ember CLI update and, you know, start using this new add-on. It's going to be really, uh, it's going to be really useful. I think you'll find that it will make the upgrade process a lot more approachable. And the last thing we're going to talk about is actually a Reddit thread from the Ember.js subreddit about like when you should make something a component. And it has a lot of really cool like conversation going on. We were in the topic Ember Weekend channel right before recording this. And Torrent, we asked, you know, people if there was anything on their mind. And Torrent Billups actually recommended that we discuss this. And I read through the the comments and it it seems really interesting. I think the most compelling thing, and I'm going to, you know, put my take on here, like I would, you know, type a comment basically. So this is not necessarily representative of the overall thread. But my take is very much in line with the way Alex and Hazala posted, which is basically try to reduce the surface area of your UI 
to where each thing, each component, quote unquote, that we will turn into a component only has one responsibility. So really trying to strictly adhere to the single responsibility principle with the one made notable exception of, you know, until that doesn't make sense or, you know, your mileage may vary kind of thing. So, I mean, it's always, it, there's no absolutes, you know, no silver bullet. Right. And I mean, components are composable. So yeah, you know, at a very low level, they have one responsibility. But as soon as you start composing them now, obviously they have all of the responsibilities of the the ones that are, they're composing, at least at least on an API layer to the, you know, whatever you're exposing it to, you know, under the hood, they, they delegate out pieces. You know, components are weird because there's there's like multiple reasons to to make them like the obvious, you know, thing that I think people think about is reusability. Like I have this button and I has maybe, maybe it's like async button. I can't remember who made the add on, but there's, there's one, you know, I, I click on it. It waits for some async behavior, shows a spinner. You can, you know, can kind of configure what that means. I use that. It's much more convenient than having to write, you know, the async stuff to like change the button label or add a spinner to it every time. And that's a use case of like, it's got a single responsibility. It's very reusable. You, you know, you can style it. It's configurable. But then there's other things where maybe like a form, a small, you know, a small like three or four field form, you know, it has some defined behavior. Somebody gives it some input, maybe it validates a field locally and then only triggers an action once everything's valid and the user, you know, it enables a button, the user clicks submit. That could be a component, but it doesn't have, only have one responsibility, but it, it it's like a different reason for making a component, I guess. It's for the kind of encapsulated testable behavior of a small chunk. Yeah. Even though you, you'll probably never, even if you didn't reuse that form anywhere else, to me that still makes sense to to make it a component. But you don't want to go like crazy with that. Yeah, I mean, well, I think I think you 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 hit the nail on the head with the testability as well. Like that's a that's another really solid case for making smaller components because smaller components are more easily testable. I mean, components in general are more easily testable. To that end, I really want to talk about how mixins and partials are, in my opinion, should be considered maybe not harmful, but should be definitely like used with extreme, extreme caution because they become, they very quickly become a testing nightmare. I actually, I think once you get to a certain size, if you're using partials all over the place and then you want to like run a test, maybe sometimes finding out all of the different pieces that are accessible from within partials, that especially partials that are reused, becomes so problematic that I've known teams that will actually use an AST to, to try to like mechanically figure out what is actually accessible in this partial. Like, what is this? If I wanted to componentize this partial, how would I do it? And like, you have to know all of the things that can be accessed. So <laughs> it's just like, I, I just don't, I don't like partials. So like, that's, I know that's, maybe that's a little ancillary, but I don't like them. And now this is a rant and rant. I'm yeah. sorry about that. So, I mean, yeah, th- this came up in, in this is that somebody mentioned mixins or that components were better than mixins. And uh, I don't think they mentioned partial, partials, but to me, they're, they're kind of along the same lines. They're like, they're what mixins do, but for the template. And then somebody else said, oh, yeah, you know, mixins and partials are, you know, a good solution for a good alternate solution for this, maybe. Well, yeah. So I think I think so. I, I don't want to I don't want to misquote the person because I actually know what comment you're talking about. And he says that components are for reuse. And for simple code organization, you use mixins and um, right and, and partials, and and I think that that's that's a fine mental model, but in practice, I've seen that partials and mixins both get out of control, and then they never really like basically inheritance is what mixins provide, and it gets mushy. It's it's better to compose, in my opinion. I know that that's like an axiomatic st- statement where like people just say it because it sounds good or whatever, like it's a soundbite, but generally speaking, like trying to find a mix-in, like all of the mix-in's responsibility across its entire service area is really challenging. 
Yeah. So well, the the, um, the, the specific yeah. case I was thinking with it is that um, what, what mixins and partials both do is they allow you to take a bunch of duplication you have and just move them to a common place. All you're doing is you you don't want to duplicate it, and you know it's a kind of valid thought. I don't want to if I make a change, I don't want to make it in one place. But the, to me, the problem is that that abstraction quickly breaks down. And it's not the best abstraction. Like if you if you really put the effort into it, you could probably come up with a better abstraction than that. Mm. Which which makes me think of the the Sandy Metz quote to prefer duplication over the wrong abstraction. And to me, like I will leave some duplication in there for a little bit and deal with the pain of you know putting it in a couple different places, and then you know really think about it. And oftentimes, I'll come back and finally go, oh, maybe what I'm doing here is not necessary, or here's a really good. You know, I can extract this thing, not in a mixin, but in like a component or something else. It's often better to just leave it in place for a little while and kind right. of like, you know, think on it and see it around and see is it really a big problem? Uh, because yeah, it's like it's like you you never really know less about the problem than you do right now. So yeah. pushing off decisions are, are usually you'll have more you'll be more uh, knowledgeable in the future. And you can you, that's like always going to be true. So uh, as long as there's there, there's trade offs to like waiting, there's also a cost to that as well. But yeah, like pushing that decision point as far as you can without like breaking down flow or like, you know, just pushing off technical debt. That's that's actually like the risk you yeah. run is like you're just creating technical debt. You have to have it. You have to do that with the intention of refactoring and like you have to follow through. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just creating massive technical debt. But yeah, I think you're right. You you push the, the problem off for as long as possible. And then, you know, when you know more, you can make much smarter decisions that will bite you less in the future. Also, I don't know if anybody has this, but I'm pretty sure it's like a psychological conditioning thing that I've done to myself where I put off refactoring something knowing that it needs to happen, but I like, I reorganize and like everything, I make everything look very similar knowing that there's a little bit of duplication, but that I don't want to just, you know, make the wrong abstraction. And then later on I come in and I get a refactor it and it feels so good. Like, <laughs> and I'm like the whole time, I'm like, it's like this delayed gratification thing where I know it's coming and like, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to refactor that later. And then you do it and you're like, oh my God, that feels so amazing. All my tests <laughs> still pass and the code looks clean. And, but it is funny. It's, um, I, I think I've like conditioned myself to wait for the, the ability mm-hmm. to refactor until I really know that I have enough tests wrapping all of the conditions. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a good practice, I think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, so follow along on the Reddit thread if you'd like to, or you know, let us know what you think about this discussion. Um, when do you know when to make an abstraction? Reach out to us, let us know on our Slack channel or or Twitter or wherever. And uh, yeah, I'd really like to hear some thoughts on your opinions on when, when that's a good decision to make. All right, and that's all we have for this summer weekend. I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. And if you'd like to follow along for future episodes, look us up on iTunes at Ember Weekend or on Twitter at Ember Weekend, all one word, or uh, check us out on the uh, the Slack channel at topic-emberweekend. Weekend.